Well, again, let me say good morning, and I am so glad to be back, be back home. Had a lovely trip. We were, I was preaching at a missions conference in North Carolina and then at a church in North Carolina, but you guys know this, there's no place like home. And uh, so we had a, a wonderful time. We did some vacationing there, some spring break, and here we are in the rock and excited for what God has for us, excited that everybody got a seat, and uh, uh, you know, in a Baptist church, you know, there is, you know there is room always in the front. Yeah, we're saving that for you. That's always going to be available. But I tell you what, uh, 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 being in the rock, I want to I set this ground rule. I want to set this expectation. I do best with um, uh, engagement or feedback, you know. Uh, and so if you really want to help your preacher, if the Lord touches your heart, it's okay to say, amen, or praise the Lord, or get him, preacher, or whatever. Uh, I, would li- I like that. If, if you're singing and the Lord touches your heart to clap, here's why. Here's why. You think you're speaking loudly, but in this particular room, it sounds like crickets, right? And that is especially true on my jokes. See, that would have killed in the sanctuary. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, uh, it helps uh, more volume and loud. That's a good thing. And uh, I want you to be excited each week about the word of God, about what God has done in your life. Has he been good to you? Has he rescued you? See, I can't hear any of that. Has he been good to you? Okay, so that needs to be the baseline standard of volume for a hearty amen or a yes. And if you're around other people and you feel like they haven't been here, say, hey, it's going to get loud in my row because God's been good to me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, there's going to be some praise in my row. And you know how you're driving sometimes and you get to a dead spot in your cell phone, you drop a call because it's a dead zone. If you look around your row and you're like, y'all a dead zone, you're going to move to get better coverage, right? And say, hey, in this row, we're going to praise the Lord. We're going to be hallelujah. I just want you to know that's a good thing. So I want you to feel free to do that. Now, I know some people, uh, the way they process and the way they receive information, it's different for different people. This is the face some people make, which means I'm tracking with you. I totally agree. And it all makes sense. I'm connecting. This is the face. What they mean by that is, yep, get them, <laughs> okay? That's okay. So I know everybody, I'm not asking you to do something artificial or manufactured. I just want you to know you feel freedom in the house of the Lord, okay? Well, we are coming near the end of our series in 1 John. If you've been with us, you know it's this series called That You May Know. He's writing to believers with one mission. He is trying to give them assurance of salvation, So since we're almost to the end of this series, this is probably a pretty good time to just stop and ask. For those of you who've been with the series, you've been listening, can I ask you point blank? Has this happened? I mean, take a little hard examination. Have you felt that needle move in the right direction toward assurance? Do you feel like as you've gone through this, especially those of you that wrestle with doubt and you need that assurance, do you feel like, wow, you know, this is really helping my sense of assurance of salvation? Good, that's what First John, that it was written, that you may know. And let me be so bold as to ask the uncomfortable flip side of that question. Has it illuminated for you 
uh, 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 that you are growing increasingly unsettled. You're not getting that assurance of salvation. You're unsettled. And as each chapter has gone by, as we, you've come to realize, you do not see the evidence in your life that John says to look for of being born again. And if that's the case, then this may be the, the single most important sermon series of your life because th- that, that may mean you're under conviction and you realize you don't see any evidence that you're truly saved. And so you need to be born again born from above, and you need to repent, believe, and come to him. Now, if you've been following this series over and over, like a spiral staircase, John comes back again and again to these three tests, these three indicators. What are the three indicators by which we can know that we know that we know that we know we're saved? Over and over again, and by now, if, if you've been with us through the series, I hope you know these by heart. Over and over again, he says, look for evidence in these three things. These are the three indicators by which we can know, by which a Christian can know they are saved. You know them, right? Number one, if we have our names on a church roll somewhere. Number two, if we feel saved. And number three, if we've been fairly well behaved for the past 72 hours. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad you laughed at that. Because can I tell you how disheartening that would have been if everybody was like, yep, got them. That's what I got out of 1 John. (laughs) I failed. <laughs> no, you laugh because you'd say, wait a minute. Those aren't the indicators of whether or not you're saved. If, you've, if you're listed on a church roll somewhere, just being a church member, if you feel saved or if you've been well-behaved for the past 72 hours, but you tell me, is that not how a lot of Christians judge whether or not they're saved? Is that not where they get their assurance of salvation? You laugh at those, but think about it. There are so many people. Well, of course I'm a Christian. What else would I be? My grandpa was a, was a deacon over here at this church, and I, I grew up in a church. I'm, I'm on a church membership, so of course I'm saved. Why wouldn't I be? And they base their salvation on some external uh, 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 joining of a church. Or, or if they feel saved. Come on. Some of you are of such a sensitive nature. You know who you are. You're such a sensitive person. That if, you, if your salvation was based on whether or not you feel saved, you wrestle with doubt so much, you would never be saved if your salvation depended on feeling. Why? That's just because that's how you're made. That's how, and so that's how you're wired. Your conscience is set to defcon sin. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's pegged out all the way. Why? Because you're, 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 that's just how you're made. So because of your feeling. Well, your salvation's not based on feeling. And for those that, how you've been behaving the past 72 hours, can I tell you, you laugh at that. There's more people than you might think. They base their justification on their sanctification instead of the other way around. What I mean by that is they judge whether or not they're right with God based on how well they behave, usually for the past couple days. That's totally arbitrary. Now, if you think that these are... um, Uh, completely out of the blue and made up people base whether or not they they try to take assurance from places that the bible says are nowhere to take assurance this uh uh, really came uh, to the forefront for me when we were driving back from north carolina we stopped for gas but first we took out a second mortgage then we filled up our gas and uh uh, there was country music playing on the on the radio it makes sense in north carolina tennessee area and and uh, popular song and uh but it, it hit me when I heard it. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Have you heard this song? It's by Hardy. Um, uh, uh, it's, it, basically, it's, it's a ballad. He had this friend, he imagines, this friend that dies. And he says, you know, go give heaven. I'm, basically, you lived a wild life here on earth. But now that you're in heaven, you died way too young. And now that you're in heaven, 
let them have it up there. You know, take all those things you enjoy here and you let them have it up there. And it's this, and it's, and, and it's like, it's a tearjerker. I mean, if you listen to it, but I'm, I'm reading the lyrics, I'm, you know, make some thunder, make them wonder how you got in. <laughs> hide your beer and hide your clear from the man upstairs. Like, I don't know that you get a, like a beer hiding zone in heaven. <laughs> And I don't know what clear is, but after Googling it, it's not, none of the choices were good. Uh, hide your beer, hide your clear from the man upstairs, crank it loud, hold it down till I get there. Now, um, to be charitable, every artist is allowed some poetic license. <laughs> and so I really want to be fair. Um, uh, here's what got me. Here's what broke my heart. It's when he got theological, and he made a theological statement. Uh, and if you love this song, don't worry. I'm not mad, and I'm not mad at you. And I'll get to that in just a second. I'll tell you why. Here, so so you, you hear this, and you're like, basically, you know, you were wild and, and down on earth, and now I want you to go be wild on the streets of gold, and you know, whatever. Okay. So, uh, but here's what he says in the bridge. I know you'll be there, he's saying. I know you'll be in heaven. Why? I was there when you raised your hand, heads bowed, singing just as I am, walking that aisle, praying that prayer. Hold it down till I get there. Now, I didn't write a country music song, so he, but when he started preaching a sermon, now, okay, he got into my territory then. See, wait, wait, wait just a minute. Uh, I'm not mad at this songwriter. I'm not mad at this song, and I'm certainly not mad at you if you love that song. It's a tearjerker. Here's what I'm, I'm not mad. I'm sad. I'm brokenhearted. Why? Because this person's view of A, God, and B, heaven, is representative of a lot of people's view of God and heaven. And it breaks my heart. In other words, what they're saying, they're offering people comfort. This is a funeral song. This is a song where people have lost a loved one and they're grieving. And this is what they're being offered. And I'm not mad. I'm sad because it's woefully inadequate. What it says about God, I, I was there when you raised your hand, heads bowed, and so you prayed a prayer. It doesn't matter how you live, you prayed that prayer. That makes God a petty dictator who has this little trick. If you pray the magic prayer, you're in. If you don't, you're out. It, it makes salvation completely man-centered. Hey, you know how to get leverage on God? Yeah, you just have to pray a magic prayer. Then you can live however you want. doesn't really matter. It's a pretty good deal, actually. Salvation is completely man-centered. And heaven? It makes heaven out to be... Heaven is boring, but if you bring a little bit of hell's fun into it, then somehow you can rejoice. No, 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 no. No, no, no. So he inter the artist was interviewed. Yeah, it can be about anybody, your high school buddy, your cousin, your dad, your brother's sister, who had that wildfire spirit about him. It's hard to imagine those people singing on clouds with harps and wings. I don't want to sing on a cloud with harps and wings either. Nobody wants that. You know who else doesn't want that? The Bible. And I would give anything. You've got to hear me clearly. I'm not mad at you, and I'm not mad at this song. But if you love that song, this is, this is your big brother, Tom, putting his arm around you going, can I show you that whatever your view of God in heaven is, he's more. He's so much more. And to those of you who are wild spirits, you've seen the beauty of Alabama in the spring. Now you tell me, in new heaven, new earth, land unpolluted in a perfect world where there's no sin and there's nothing of hell to ever pollute it, you tell me what a hike through the spring in new heaven, new earth will be like. It's more. It's not clouds and harps and wings. No, no, no. So much more. 
Don't let your view of God be woefully impoverished. And as far as can you get it, can you get to heaven, please. don't. So many Christians do this. They look back to their moment of, I guess they, they, they're looking back. Well, I prayed the prayer. I mean, I was at vacation Bible school. I was in revival, and I don't know. I, they, they led me in this prayer, and I prayed this prayer. I guess that's it. I'm in. That's good. Then they get nervous because they didn't pray the right prayer, or they didn't come forward, or they didn't get baptized enough times, or they didn't get baptized enough. You know. So, so they, 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 they look backward to all that. John says, there's no evidence there. That's not where the evidence is. That's not where the evidence is. So does everybody hear me? I'm not hating on this song. It's poetic license. It's art. Fine. But the theology is woefully inadequate to give real comfort and hope. John says, that's not the assurance. What is the assurance? Okay, serious now. What is the real assurance? And I hope these at least sound familiar. Even if you don't have them memorized in this order, everybody nod like, oh, yeah, yeah, we were going to get those, Pastor, 100%. They are belief, right, the faith indicator. Do you have faith that Jesus is exactly who he says he is? Belief, love, the social indicator and oh, I see what they did. They helped you out there. And obedience. Belief, love, obedience. Obedience does not mean perfection. It means a child of God who is truly born of God, truly born again. The trajectory of their life will be toward the Lord's commands. And you say, yeah, but they fail all the time. Yeah, but even in their failure, that's part of how they know they're following the Lord's commands because they repent from that failure and continue to walk in the Lord's ways. Even if they have to repent a hundred times a day, that's part of them displaying that they're seeking at least to honor the Lord and his commands. So John weaves, he's, he's been kind of dealing with one, then he would deal with another, and then he'd come back to another. Here we come to the end, John 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. John 5, 1 through 5 is like the, um, you ever go to a fireworks display and they shoot off a firework and it's beautiful and everybody's like, ooh and ah. Then they shoot off another one, ooh, ah. But then the, the, the finale, they shoot them all off at once. That's what John 5, 1 through 5 is. He, he, he does all the, like, belief, love, and obedience all together. It's almost in a big circle. He's like, uh, 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 those who believe have been born again. And without faith, you can't love God or God's people. And without love, you can't obey God's commands. And without obeying God's commands, you can't overcome the world. And the way you overcome the world is believing by faith. And we're back. See, this is what he's going to do here. Let's look at it. Look at the first part of verse 1. Everyone, how can I know for sure I'm born again? Starts with belief. For you note takers, you already saw the outline. Belief, love, obedience. How can I know I'm born again? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We're back to it. it. One of the marks of being born again is that you have faith. You believe in Jesus. And not just any faith. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why is that important? Remember the context. Uh, there is... Uh, this heresy that John is trying to refute that says Jesus was just a, like a good person and the Christ, sort of the divine nature, kind of came on him, say at his baptism, and left him right before the cross because God couldn't die on a cross. John says, no, you got it all wrong. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, was God the Son since all eternity, and God the Son took a body, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born into that manger, God in human flesh, and he lived a sinless life, and yes, 100% man, 100% God, died on Calvary's cross and rose again. Now, believing that, there is a, a, a content to that faith. So, and by the way, by the way, if you think that it's modern, you know how like modern, it's very fashionable to say like, you have your beliefs, okay, 
I have my beliefs. But let's not have all this talk about Jesus is the, like, Jesus is God and the only way to God the Father. Let's not have any talk like that. That sounds very modern. You need to know, that was just as scandalous when John wrote it as it is today. That's always been scandalous. John wrote it in a Roman Empire where it's like, yeah, put Jesus up there with the pantheon of gods. No big deal. John's saying, no, 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 Jesus is not one among a bunch of good prophets. So even today, whether a Mormon who would deny that Jesus is God, a Muslim who would say, Jesus is a great prophet, Muslims, beginning Ramadan, right? They're, 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 what are they doing? They're, they're fasting. They're, they honor Isa. That's the Arabic for Jesus. They honor Isa. Oh, yeah, yeah, Isa, great prophet. Did he die on the cross? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I, I, meaning to say he is not the son of God. They, they would deny, excuse me, they would deny that he's the, the son of God. See, uh, uh, so whether Mormon or Muslim or a, a secular humanist or whatever, no matter how moral, no matter how loving, uh, this person has no indication that they've been born of God. Why? Because belief in Jesus is the evidence. Now let me just hang out there one more moment. Notice the tense of this, and I hope it gives you cause to rejoice. <clears throat> It says that everyone who believes has been born of God. In other words, belief is not the cause, it is the indication. It is the evidence of faith. And you say, hold on a second. Doesn't, uh, doesn't, first, doesn't John chapter 1 say that everyone who, everyone who believes in John 1.12, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Yes. So here we find the coalescence of these two truths. When a person believes in Jesus, it is a sign that it is none other than God who has done something in their life. Now stay with me. Just like with love and obedience, the other two tests, watch this. God did not wait until you prove that you were loving enough, and if you could be really, really loving enough, then he would give you the right to become his child. He didn't do that, did he? He made the first move. He saved you. You didn't go looking for him, right? So he didn't do that with your love, and he didn't do that with obedience. He didn't say, okay, now if you can prove that you can follow the commandments, 10 of them or 9 of them, or just round up, whatever. If you can, whatever my arbitrary number is, if you can do that, and if you're really, really, really good, if you're really, really obedient, then you can have a right to become a child of God. He didn't do that either. It's the same thing with faith. He didn't wait until you had this really profound faith and it could move a mountain and you were never going to be shaken. And once you proved that you could totally believe, then you'd have a right to become a child of God. No, you were born from above. And all of this is the evidence that you've been born from above. That is incredible to me. That, that, that gives me assurance and excitement about two things at least. One is, and I want you to rejoice in this, Paul, Paul says, you say, that sounds familiar. You're probably thinking of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not of yourselves, is it? It is a gift from God. Why? So that no one can boast. You didn't obey yourself into the kingdom of heaven. You didn't love your way into the kingdom of heaven. You didn't faith your way into the kingdom of heaven. You got rescued. That's it. You got rescued. So salvation, you got nothing to brag about. I got nothing to brag about. All the bragging goes straight to Jesus. All the boasting is about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. So two things. One, you can say when you give your testimony, not only I was blind, but now I see. 
I was lost, but now I'm found. You can go a step further. You can tell people, I was dead in sins and trespasses and made alive. God made this dead heart beat again. And the second thing is, when you witness, when you tell people about Jesus, can you do me a favor? Can you put all the pressure on Jesus? Some of you, when you witness, you put way too much pressure on yourself. No pressure on you. Your job is just to what? Your job is just to tell the good news. Share that scripture. Share what's on your heart. You tell what God's done in your life. You tell the plan of salvation. But God is the only one who can save. So many people get nervous about witnessing, about sharing their faith, because they go, well, I, I don't know what to say. I can't, I can't seem to reach them. I can't. It's not your job to save them. You can't save them. You give the plan of salvation and watch God do the saving. You can no more save somebody. You, you can tell somebody, go be effective in witnessing and make sure you get them saved. Well, we might as well walk down here to City Cemetery and have everybody yell. Pick a grave. Everybody yell. and We'll see which one comes out. You can yell and hoot and holler all you want. Only the one with power to raise the dead can do that. So your job is to share the good news and put all the pressure on Jesus. Let him work. Let him save. Okay, well, that firework of faith, that may have been multiple fireworks, sorry, but that firework of faith is going off. Then the the rest of the verse, he, he moves on to the next one. From faith to love. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's simple, isn't it? What does that mean? You love your heavenly Father? Yeah? You love your dad? Yeah? You better love your siblings too. That's all that verse means. If you love your heavenly father, look around. Brother, sister, don't make God turn this van around. (laughs) Right? Isn't that such a simple verse? You know, it's true. When you start caring about somebody, when you you have your uh, kids... And, and they have kids. Isn't that true? Uh, there comes a point in life, I didn't realize this until I've reached that point, there comes a point in life where your kids actually pick your adult friends for you. Oh, we're going to be friends. Why? Because our kids are on the same soccer team or whatever. Oh, okay. And it almost takes us back to the fourth grade. I remember going to a basketball game this weekend. I didn't know anybody, but uh, he, he played on team with all these kids. And I walked up. I'm like, hi, I guess we're going to be friends. <laughs> Make friends. Isn't that true? I begin to care about your children because I care about you. That's what Bible's saying. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. Do you feel a love for Christians growing in your heart? John says that's assurance. That's evidence. He goes on to say, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Ah, here he does this thing Jesus did. Remember in Matthew 22, Jesus did this. Jesus joined love for God with love for people. Remember when this Pharisee tried to trick him? Hey, what's the greatest, uh, hey teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says the Shema from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. He says, on those two commands, you can hang the entire Bible. Love God, love people. At the end of a wedding, I often say, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Do you understand? Let no one put asunder. Well, we can say that about the command, love God, love people. What Jesus has joined together, let no one separate. You're going to love God? Love his kids. Now, if you say, that's not plain enough. Well, John makes it very plain. Go back a couple verses to 419. We won't belabor them, but we love because he first loved us. This is, I'm just back a couple verses. 
If anyone says, verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And here he argues from the lesser to the greater. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That makes total sense. Don't say you love God if the person right in front of you, you hate that person that you can see. Oh, but I have have a, a love for God who's invisible. Yeah, your love is invisible too. Oh, yeah, it's invisible too. Exactly. So he's saying, Don't, you're a liar. Anybody who says, I love God, but has hatred in his heart. Perfect love drives out fear. Apparently, perfect love drives out hatred as well. John doesn't mince words. If your behavior contradicts your confession, he says you're a liar. Uh, one theologian put it this way. Don't claim you love God, but hate God's image standing right in front of you. Who's the image of God? Humans made in his image. Well, this is, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I don't want to belabor the point, but how quickly we are as Christians, this must be repented of. We can become so critical of one another. The world is going to beat you up enough. The church needs to be a place that builds you up. Build one another up. We can put on those lenses. Remember I talked about the lenses where you see every motive of another person through the worst possible lens. It's time for those uh, to go and get new lenses where you begin to believe the best about other people. We can be so slow to bear burdens, so unwilling to empathize, and that lovelessness contradicts what we profess. It's a stumbling block to weak Christians, and by the way, it makes many attempts at evangelism useless. And so if you do not currently love your brother, go be right. Go be made right and let's repent and ask for mercy and grace to change us okay back to the focal point verse two by this we know we love the children of god when we love god and obey his commandments and now you see he's come to the third belief love obedience now remember to love god and to love people are his commandments when you think about the commandments of god does your mind immediately go to love Because that's what it is. It comes down to love. Think about it. If you love God and love other people, name a command you would break. There's not one. If you truly love God, you wouldn't break commandment number two. You wouldn't make any idols. If you truly love God, you wouldn't break. If you truly love God and love people, you wouldn't break commandment number three. You wouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. If you truly love God and love people, you would never break number eight. What's eight? (laughs) steal steal you wouldn't steal right if you truly have a love for other people you wouldn't break commandment number six thou shalt not murder why because your heart would never get there why because you have love when you think about it like that you'd say well the whole law could be summed up by by fulfilling the law uh, by, by loving one another that's literally what romans 13 says you shall love your neighbor as yourself Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Galatians 5 says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is, look at how he begins verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You can't say you love your heavenly father without quite naturally keeping those commandments. And when you realize that his commandments are love, it puts a whole new spin on things. Look, he says his commandments are not burdensome. You see that? How many of us, if you thought about that, we think of the law of God and the commands of God. 
The problem's not with the commands of God, it's with us, it's the way we think about it. When you love God and you love other people, when you catch a vision for all that God is, his beauty and his perfection, and when you see how he's made others in his image and he's filled this love in your heart that wants to splash out on others, you start to think, well, that's not burdensome. Ask a young, uh, ask a young single fella, hey man, is it a burden to buy expensive dinners and... Uh, uh, buy a bunch of nice flowers. Is all that really expensive? Of course it is. Is that a burden? Yes. Until what? Until you fall in love. Right? Isn't that, isn't there, there's a song. When a man loves a woman, he spend his very last dime. Right? And what? And his commandments are not burdensome. Why? There's love. You know, the, the, the persnickety legalistic regulations of the Pharisees were heavy burdens. But God's will, God's will. Do you remember this in Romans 12 too? God's will. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the will of God. What, did it, what is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me say it again. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. Young people, will you listen to me with all your heart? His will for your life is good and pleasing and perfect. You are being sold a narrative every day that this is the good life, this is the pleasing life, this is the perfect life. I'm telling you, God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. And here's the problem. I'm preaching to you that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect, but people are preaching at you, and they're a lot louder than me. And I'm loud. And their sermons go on a lot longer than mine. And mine do go on. Why? Because their sermons are something called advertisements. And everywhere you go, advertisers are trying to show you this is what's good, this is what's pleasing, this is what's perfect. Influencers are trying to influence you so that you know what's good and what's pleasing and what's perfect. Will you listen to me? God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. God's plan is not the difficult rules, but you have, it's kind of like you got to take your medicine. You know, you got to follow the laws of God because it's the only way to get a blessed life. Nobody really wants to do them, but it's the price you pay for admission. You know, oh well, I'm a Christian, so let me follow these rules of grumpy old dictator God so that I can have the blessed life of fun that I really want, right? And besides, I can always repent. That is utterly foreign to Scripture. What Scripture saying is, what are, you, what are you talking about? His commands are not burdens. His commands following his way to love him and love others is what's good and pleasing and perfect. You want to be free? You want to truly flourish? Imagine asking a bird, hey little bird, let me ask you, aren't those wings a burden and if the bird could talk excuse me yeah always on the side you know oh what a burden it must be they must be heavy and probably in the spring they're pretty hot is that why you chirp so loud all the time are you mad because you've got these sort of saddlebag wings going and they're really holding you down that bird would scratch his little bird head and look at you in total bird confusion. Ask his friends to come around and say, uh, you believe this guy? What manner of creature are you? Don't you know, the bird would say, don't you know, I see the problem here. I see the problem. I have a heavenly father who made me, who knew exactly what I would need for flourishing. And so he gave me these wings and they allow me to flourish and be free. Huh, 
I guess you must not have a heavenly father who created you to follow in his flourishing path. What a pity. And you'd say, no, bird, you misunderstand. I have it. And the bird's like, talk to the wing. I'm flying away, right? I have a heavenly father. And I know that my wings are not my burden. To which I'd say, preach, bird. Preach. The wings are not a burden. Before you come to know the Lord, Romans says, yes, the law shows you. It convicts you how you fall short. And there is that sense. And following God is a test of faith. And it's not easy. But the commands themselves, after you become a Christian, you should say like Psalm 19. You should say, oh, how I love your law. When I start to do it your way, that's when my life makes sense. That's when I soar. That's when I flourish. I don't want to be addicted. I don't want to have all this guilt. I don't want to have this remorse. I want to go your way, God not mine. That's what Psalm 19 says. Oh, how I love your law. When we get our heads right, we start to see that every one of his commands are just his blessings. And every one of his blessings are a command. See? His commandments are not burdensome. Obey. Well, what's the upshot of all this? I mean, there it is. The, uh, the love, uh, excuse me, the believe, the love, the obey. Uh, the upshot is victory. The outcome is victory. I surprised you with a surprise second point, but the good news is it only has one subpoint. The evidence of being born again is belief, love, and obedience, but the outcome of being born again is victory. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I don't know if you walked in here this morning, if you thought, you know my biggest problem? I need to overcome the world. Probably not what you said. But here's what you might have thought. I'm riddled with anxiety. I am paralyzed by fear. I have tremendous doubt. My family's falling apart. Marriage is struggling. Will I ever overcome this temptation? Or will I just keep failing? Will the despair crush me? Or will I find a way out? Can I tell you what you were really asking is, how can I overcome the world? And right here in 1 John It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, what on earth does that mean? Faith. Faith is not believing in in spite of the evidence. No, 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 no. Some people think faith is a blind leap and ignore all. No, no, no. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequence. Because you look through to the other side and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right in the middle of the evil. Right in the middle of the battle. You say, wait a minute, evil seems so strong. And it looks like the temptation is never going to let up, and it's utterly irresistible. Maybe I should just go ahead and give in. But faith, faith says, no, I can see through to the other side. Well, the fact is I can't see to the other side. But I'm going to obey no matter what it costs me. I'm going to call evil's bluff. You are not invincible. You are not all-powerful. Why? Our faith. Look look at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, meaning Jesus is who he says he is? So you look at that irresistible, quote-unquote, temptation. You think, how will I ever break free from this addiction, this temptation? You say, Jesus Christ has defeated death, and anybody who can defeat death can defeat anything. So I'm going to trust in him, and I'm going to keep on the right path, and I'm going I'm to believe for the long game, so to speak. I'm going to believe, I'm going to have faith that if he can come up out, out of that grave, he can defeat anything. There's pressures that weigh you down in such a way that you go, I'll, I'll never get out of it. I'll, I'll be crushed by this despair. It is relentless and it is insurmountable. Ah, but the eyes of faith. Faith. 
Charles Wesley wrote a beautiful hymn about, you know, though the sons of night blaspheme, more there are with us than them. Isn't that a great line? Uh, 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 he's referring to the Old Testament story of the prophet, and uh, they're, they're coming to kill the prophet and his servant. And the servant's like, well, we might as well. That's it. We're all going to die. You know, it's been great. And the prophet prays, oh, Lord, open his eyes, for there are more with us than with them. The servant walks outside, and he sees there camped on the hillside chariots of fire, angels, the angel armies ready to fight the battles on behalf of the prophet. And he realizes, no, 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 no. You thought we were outnumbered. No, the bad guys are, in fact, outnumbered. Wesley writes, though the sons of night blaspheme more, there are with us than them. Here's the rest of that line. God with us we cannot fear. Fear, ye fiends, for Christ is here. I love that so much because I've heard a lot of hymns and they're usually defensive. Rarely do you get a hymn with some offense. Like, that, that, that's kind of cool, right? Can you imagine? Like, I've, like, hymn, but a little bit trash talk. Some of you need a little bit more aggressive faith in God because these addictions look so scary. This evil looks so insurmountable. How will you ever be able to love this person? There's so much hate in the world. Well, Wesley says, whoa, whoa, whoa. When you look around, faith sees what you can't see right now. Faith goes, wait, wait, wait. God defeated it. You know what? Fear ye fiends, for Christ is here. Talk a little smack in your hymns with this kind of faith. Lo, to faith's enlightened sight, all the mountain flames with light. Hell is nigh, but God is nigher. I don't know if that's a word, but if Wesley, so he can, he can do it, what he wants. Hell is nigh, but God is nigher, circling us with hosts of fire. Well, the band's going to come, a, a, a musician, however they choose to do that, and lead us in a time of response. I hope that you're uh, seeing how these things interlock, and I hope you'll be able to apply this to your life. You know, I, I just think, what would it take? What would, I guess, what would the victory of faith look like in your home right now? Can you see through to the other side of something you're going through right now? Faith is the victory. So, for example, a simple example, it takes faith to raise your kids God's way, you know? It's not just a matter of good habits and all this stuff. It, it's actual faith to reject a cultural narrative that says you have to do it this way and say, no, 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 by faith, I'm getting my family in church and I'm gonna believe in the long run. It, that, that take, that's a step of faith. It's a victory that overcomes the world. At school, I know there are teenagers in here. Listen, grownups, who, do, 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 we, do we have any idea what it's like to be an eighth grader in 2022 right now? I mean, what would it like to be a sophomore in high school in the year 2022? Here's what I mean. As long as there have been teenagers, there has been an over-concern over for what other people think of me. Hyper-concern. What will people think about me? What will people think about me? Okay? That's not new to this generation. That's called being a teenager. Okay? Every generation that's ever been a teenager has had that phase where it's like, everybody's worried about what will people think about me. Right? The irony, of course, is that no one is worried about what they think of you because they are so hyper-consumed with what everyone thinks of them that they have no time in their narcissistic orbit of teenagehood, right? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Everybody's worried about that. Now, imagine a generation where you've got all that and add to it the kerosene fuel to that fire called social media. 
Who's going to overcome? Who's the, who's the, who's the freshman who's going to carry their Bible to school and share Christ in a world where everybody's so concerned what will people think? Who's that? Who's that bold teenager? I'll tell you who. It's the one who will overcome. What's that victory? Faith. Faith. It's not just whistling in the dark. They're going to look at all the cultural narratives of their teenage uh, culture and say, this is fake. That's fake. Not real. Ad block, ad block, ad block. Faith. Fear. Fiends. I'm coming. Faith. Faith. It worked. There's so many pressures. I'm going to tell the truth, whatever happens. Obedience in spite of consequences. See? Uh, I'm going to deal with this person in love regardless of how they treat me. I'm going to help this customer regardless of how ornery and, and, and terrible they've been. I'm going to take, why? Because faith, victory, overcome the world. See? I pray that for you. I pray that for me. I think that's what First uh, John wants for us. And as these things happen, as you grow in love and belief and obedience, you know what starts to grow with it? Assurance. That's why John wrote the letter. That you may know. Let's pray. God, grant to us a fresh desire to believe in you. Grant to us a full and rich faith. Increase our faith, oh God. Grant to us a fresh desire to love our brothers and sisters. We love you, our Heavenly Father. Grant to us that we love our siblings. And Lord, grant to us a fresh obedience. Don't let us think that your commands are burdensome legalistic regulations that we have to check off so that we can somehow earn your blessing. Grant to us the heart of the psalmist who says, I love your law. Your commands are better than gold. Grant that to us. And Lord, as we have these things, grant to us that we see in greater measure a victory of faith. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.